Let me invite your attention to Ephesians chapter 3, to a passage that is often neglected, unfortunately, but is used often by missionary and evangelism professors and evangelists and missionaries to argue in favor of their ministry and the global vision of the cross of Christ. October the 19th in the life of Beach Haven Baptist Church is profoundly important. In fact, we've got a series of efforts running up to that date. On October the 12th, we hope that you will submit in Sunday school a goal for the number of people that you will invite that week to come with us and to be a part of our events on October the 19th. On that day, October the 19th, we have four events in one day. We have Sunday school. We're looking at a high-contact day to fill every Sunday school room with those who need to know Jesus and class members as well. And then during worship service, we will have Dr. Jerry Pipes. He will preach that day and uh, will deliver a great message. His biography is on his webpage and other places. I won't take time to go through that today. Then in the evening at 5 o'clock, we will have a uh, key to discipline seminar, a seminar where parents can learn better how to discipline their children. If you were a child, if you have children or you have grandchildren, if you're still breathing, we want you here for that. If there's any possibility you ever run into a child. And then we want you there for that. And then, 6 o'clock that evening, we will have an evening worship service where Dr. Pipes will preach. Now, the parenting time, uh, the key to discipline, Dr. Pipes will lead at 5 o'clock as well. Now, since he is in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, and his family is in the Decula area, his son-in-law is, uh, needs to be baptized. He's decided to follow Christ in baptism uh, from another denomination. And uh, Jerry has asked if he can baptize him here Sunday night at 6 o'clock and so we're going to entertain that and he'll have the opportunity to do that. If you find anyone breathing in this metropolitan region I want to ask you to invite them to be here for all four services. I need you here to fill up and pack the place for every one of them. Now the reason that we're doing this is precisely because of this text and many others. Why is this important? Why ever attempt to do a day like October the 19th? Why pray our hearts out with desperation and fire and energy and effectiveness for those that don't know Christ as Savior? Why meet in Sunday school classes to pray? Why give attention to the 15 that we've listed that worry us spiritually? Why lift them up to God with prayer to God? Why is it that we will do these things? I mean, if we seek to reach folks, we'll have to reach the community north of us behind our church facility. We'll have to reach those that are south of us across Atlanta Highway. We'll have to reach out west and southwest, even over to Jackson County, and we'll have to reach over to the University of Georgia. Why go north, south, east, and west of the church property? Why in the world do that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul gives us answers that are abundantly and profoundly adequate in every conceivable way. Paul explained here in Ephesians chapter 3 that Christ's nature is a nature that essentially has a global reach. It is just like Jesus to reach the nations and all those that are still breathing, just like it's his nature to love and to care. Just like water is wet and fire is hot, so Jesus is missionary. Jesus has a heart for the entire world. Now when I say missionary, you need to understand, evangelism and mission, missions are identical. They are identical except missions means reaching across racial, ethnic, or language barriers. 
Evangelism generally is within uh, those that are just like us. Missions means reaching to those that may be different in one way or another. Otherwise, they are identical. Missions is evangelism across ethnic, racial, language, geographic boundaries. Well, that's what we have here in Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, but I want you to pay attention to me, uh, with me to verses 8 uh, and 9. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom or the multicolored wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What in the world does he mean? Essentially this, it is Christ's nature to reach and win the entire globe. It is his nature. Jesus can no more be an outreach Lord and Savior than water can keep from being wet or fire from being hot. Well, what does Christ do then? Well, that leads me to the subject, Christ the missionary. And there are three simple points that come from the text that I want to make this morning. First, Christ clarifies a missionary mystery. Christ clarifies a missionary mystery. And Paul addresses this in verses 1 through 5. He says this, For th this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, and then he diverges until verse 14. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation or stewardship or administration or management of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me on the Damascus road the mystery as I have briefly already written in chapter 2, by which when you read, and it's a good thing to read by the way in case you didn't know, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, such as the Old Testament, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. And then he defines it in verse number 6, that the Gentiles, not just Israel, but the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise, just like Israel, in Christ through the gospel. There is, on 27 occasions in the New Testament, the Greek word mysterion used, mystery. And the word mystery is a profound New Testament teaching, meaning essentially this, that God did not reveal something in the Old Testament, but he revealed it in the New, in Jesus Christ, his apostles, prophets, and his church. It's an insight. And so by the time we get to our day and into the New Testament, the word mystery is really an irony. It wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New. It is a mystery that the church of God knows in Jesus Christ. It's a mystery that's no longer a mystery. It is revealed and it is unveiled. And it's essentially defined in verse number 6. That the Gentiles, once they come to believe in Christ, will be elevated in the New Testament and church era to the same status as Israel. And every Jewish jaw in the Ephesian church dropped and hit the ground. But not before the jaws of the Gentiles did. What a stunning and startling announcement that those without the law, those without the covenant, those without the patriarchs are elevated to the same status as Israel 
when they believe. In fact, they are elevated above Israel in those sectors that do not believe. In other words, believing Gentiles are above unbelieving Israel. And so they're elevated. Now here is the mystery. The mystery, to summarize, is an age and an era where God, through his gospel, would reach the Gentiles and give them the same blessings, once they believe, that he promised to Israel. In fact, it is an era of life that was not revealed in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New, where God would build a Gentile nation called the church. And through that Gentile nation, beloved, reach the Gentiles themselves. It was not foreseen in the Old Testament, but it was revealed abundantly in the New. And so that is why it is profoundly important that we emphasize the month of October where we pray with all our hearts for Gentiles. And if you know some Jewish friends, pray for them as well. It is profoundly important that we go gangbusters over inviting everyone still breathing between October the 12th and October the 18th where we submit a goal for the number of people that will reach that particular week, October 12th of the 18th, because without that kind of heart and soul and effort, the gospel is a closed book to our community. They'll not receive it otherwise. We want to unveil Christ to our community and to our world. Therefore, we must embrace the example of Jesus the missionary. So Christ clarifies a missionary mystery, but there's a second thing that he does. Christ constructs a missionary fellowship. Christ constructs a missionary fellowship. Now please don't misunderstand the definition and the meaning of the word fellowship. Uh, the word fellowship is a word that is, uh, has been reduced to essentially a eating meeting. And that, that would be a part of it, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's too narrow, and that's too limited, a definition for the biblical word fellowship. It comes from the Greek word koinonia, and it is oftentimes used for participation in giving to missions. When you give to missions, you're engaging in stewardship, but also fellowship. It is also used for when the people are, of God are together and they work together for the sake of Christ. It is used for evangelism as well, when the people of God do it together. The essence of fellowship is to share together and to participate together in a task, and a gospel task, a task that is surrounding the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ builds a missionary fellowship, a fellowship of missionaries, who engage and act and participate in the work of Jesus Christ in His name. And so, I've got to tell you, it is a profound blessing to me through the years to participate with my international friends, having served in submission context. I admire so much my Moldovan friends, their boldness in planting churches and villages and cities in Moldova. They will usually and generally start off by knocking on doors and going to a city. And in just a few days, a local priest or a mayor of the town has gathered all the people to throw rocks at them and to persecute them. And they will not leave and they get the attention and others find out that they are not witches and devils, but they preach the gospel and they gather a church there in some of those villages in Moldova. I appreciate my Moldovan friends' courage. I appreciate the piety that I've learned from my Mexican Baptist friends 
how deeply committed they are to prayer. I had one tell me on the border of Texas and Mexico many years ago, we need not only theology, but down here we have to have prayerology as well. And I appreciated his prayer life. He's a dear brother. I appreciate so much my Venezuelan friends and their dynamic commitment to worship and honoring the Lord and lifting up Jesus Christ. How in the world could I have ever made it in my tenure as a professor without the prayer of my Korean students? More than 10% of the campus at Southwestern is international, 300 of them Koreans, and they meet together every morning at 5 o'clock in a group prayer meeting to plead for God, for revival and a movement of the Spirit on the campus there and throughout the city to win people to Jesus Christ. I was challenged and I was moved and I appreciate it, but that is a far different attitude than what one pastor told an evangelist who was visiting. He said, how uh, are you all going to reach people in your community? And that pastor replied, oh preacher, if we got serious about reaching people, we'd have to reach a bunch of Mexicans. I must say to you, that is not the spirit of Jesus Christ. We were criticized one time at Southwestern Seminary for having so many international students. As if that diminished us by having Nigerians and Koreans and Chinese and Germans and others from the nations of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, the international flavor of a place like this and this does not diminish the ministry of Christ and the stature of a church before God. It elevates it. It's precisely what it does. We are not lesser, we are better, and we look more and more like that scene around the throne in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, where every nation, tribe, tongue, and people stand before the throne, a multitude who cannot be numbered, and they cry out, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. I want to join that mighty chorus and that happy throne. We're not diminished, we're elevated before God. And that is precisely what God wants every church to do. He wants every church to reproduce as a preview of that great day. He wants them to reproduce that in their own fellowship. So Christ, when he's in control, constructs a missionary fellowship. I'm not making this up. Look with me in verse number 6. Look what he says here. He says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. There is a Greek preposition here that is used three times. And it's the Greek preposition soon. If you were to spell it in English, that is S-U-N. In Greek, it's sigma, upsilon, nu. And it precedes the word here in verse 6 for heirs. Soon heirs. Together heirs. Heirs with Christ. And then of the soon body. Of the same body. And then soon partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. It's emphatic by appearing that often in the text. In other words, when Gentiles repent and believe, they inherit Christ's glory. They are able in the gospel and in Christ to inherit Christ's glory. Hey, I've got good news for you. One of these days, Jesus is going to receive all the glory he deserves. And that's going to be, he will rule every millimeter of the cosmos and everything will perform precisely as he wants it. And do you know something? That'll be a marvelous glory to him. All the nations shall bring their wealth to him, and he will have direct control of all the resources of the earth. Isn't that great news? Beloved, I want to tell you, anyone, any Gentile, and any Jew that knows the Lord Jesus Christ gets to share in that because we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And then of the same body, 
When you come to Jesus Christ, you are incorporated into the actual body of the Lord Jesus. You're folded in, you're incorporated, you are put together. In this day, when twins are born and they are conjoined, we try to separate them. Ben Carson did the first separation of twins from the brain. Remarkable surgeon. Well, there we are, the exact opposite happens in salvation. You come together with the Lord Jesus Christ and you become part of His body by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, the Father sees you like He sees Jesus. And you have all the favor and all the affection of the Father given to you because you're in Christ. That happens to anyone who repents and believes the gospel. So they become fellow heirs, and they become fellow members of the body, fellow heirs of Christ's glory, fellow um, members of um, uh, Christ's body. And then they receive Christ's promise. They partake in His promise. In other words, His promise is much like a feast, and there is a chair at the table for everyone who will repent and believe, and they are able to sit down and enjoy the feast that is the Lord Jesus Christ when they repent and they believe the gospel. One poet wrote, When he shall come with trumpet sound to the head of the conquering line, the world will bow before his feet, and he is a friend of mine. I am allowed in Jesus Christ to share in that. So listen to me. Watch this carefully. At Mount Sinai, God invited Israel to share in His grace. At Mount Calvary, Jesus invited the world to share in His grace. Calvary is a global invitation to come to Him. Now, this has staggering implications for our interaction with the world and with internationals. There are no Anglos. There are no Latin Americans. There are no Asians. There are no Jews. There are no Gentiles. There are no African Americans. There are none of these. There's only one person, and that's the person Jesus died for and invites to come to him. That's all there is. There are none other in Jesus Christ, and that is why October is so profoundly important. Well, we will pray with all of our heart for God to save people where we will make a goal for the number of people we'll contact between October 12th and October the 18th, and where we will all participate on October the 19th as God's servant preaches the saving gospel of Christ. In this way, in this way, with these events in October, we display the fellowship nature and the missionary nature of Jesus Christ. Well, there's a third thing why this is so important, and that is Christ creates a missionary church. Christ creates a missionary church. When Jesus is in charge, his churches are missionary. The great pastor of First Dallas from 1897 to 1944 was George Truett. He was the Charles Spurgeon of his day. And he wrote these words, or spoke these words in one sermon. He said, any church that will persistently ignore this heaven-appointed work does not have the moral right to the plot of ground on which the church building stands. Any other conception that Christ's church is to be a soul-saving army is a caricature or a distortion upon the churches of the New Testament. May the day come quickly when any church, not missionary in spirit and practice, shall be regarded as a monstrosity. Indeed, it may or may not be here, but it's a monstrosity from where Jesus sits because Jesus creates a missionary church. When Jesus Christ is Lord over a church, this is what he does. Now, beloved, I want you to clearly understand. 
we do not determine and we do not define the meaning and the mission and the ministry and the action and the behavior of a local church. That is not up for us to do. Let me repeat that. We do not define the meaning of church. We do not define the action and priority of churches. That is not left up to us to do. We are not gods. We are servants. We are not masters. We are subjects to Jesus Christ. The only one who defines a church, its ministry, its mission, its priorities, and its sentiment is the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not leave that to us. I've got news for the world. There's not a vacancy in the Trinity, and God is not taking applications for it. Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, raised from the dead, ascended, and coronated, and he's been in session for 2,000 years, and the Father's quite pleased with him, by the way. And Jesus Christ is Lord, and Jesus Christ rules. And so being an outreach church is not something we would ever vote on. Well, we can vote on the color of the carpet. We'll never vote on the color of the people. We'll never do that. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ cast that vote in His cross and resurrection and ascension. And so when Jesus Christ is Lord, the church and the Christians in it surrender to Him. Jesus Christ is Lord. He and He alone to the glory of God the Father. When that's true, the church manifests the spirit and the character and the ministry and the priorities. Of verses 7 through 13. Let me mention these. One, Christ mindset in this missionary church. Verse number 7. He said, of which I became a diakonos. I became a servant. Usually this word is translated, or sometimes this word is translated deacon. Paul wasn't a deacon, so the word servant or minister would be very appropriate here in this text. He says in verse 1, I'm a servant and prisoner of Jesus Christ. In verse number 13, he said, I'm going through tribulations for your sake. You need to understand The Christian faith is a missionary faith, and that is profoundly uncomfortable. It is disturbing. It is fear and anxiety inducing. I want to alert you that if you want a comfortable religion, I want to suggest to you that you run as quickly as you can from the Christian faith. When God is in control through His Son over a life, He's constantly placing us in places where it is a challenge and it is a difficulty. And the only way anything will happen is with supernatural intervention by our prayers. It is a certain mindset, the mindset of sacrifice and service. In fact, if it doesn't hurt or cause us to tremble or our teeth to chatter, if it doesn't require some degree of sacrifice, it probably isn't Christian. That's Christ's mindset in a missionary church. Then Christ's gift of the church. Chapter 3, verse 7. I became a minister according to the gift of grace. This kind of life, this missionary life in a church and in life, beloved, is a gift of God's grace. In fact, it is as much a gift of God's grace to be missionary and to be servant-oriented and to be sacrificial for Jesus. It's as much a gift of grace to do those things as it is to receive forgiveness. It is as much grace to be missionary as it is to receive grace. It is as much a gift of grace to receive uh, a missionary life as it is to receive the love of God. It is grace. And then we go on. Christ's power for this missionary church. Look what it says in verse number 7 and 8. Of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. Not my intelligence, not the collective wisdom of the people, but His power. To me, who am the leaster of all the saints. 
Paul coins a word here, never used before or since in the New Testament. I am the leaster, the least of the least among all of these, yet God used him anyway. I've got good news for you. This kind of life may induce some fear and anxiety, but if you will surrender to Jesus Christ and come to Him and walk with Him on His terms, friend, God can do anything through you that is His will. There is nothing in the will of God that you cannot do. And then there is the work of the missionary church. Christ's work in the missionary church, verse 8. To me, who am least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach euangelizo. That's the word that we uh, have uh, transliterated into English for evangelism. And then he goes on, to make all see. Or uh, that, happens to be the, um, that happens to be the Greek word photizo. We photograph for everyone to see. We bring light for everyone to see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And then verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Another phrase for the gospel. So we euangelizo, we photizo, and we make known to the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. The missionary church is not only concerned about its life and its stewardship, and it should be. The missionary church is also, when it is surrendered to Jesus Christ, that is, very concerned about verbalizing and articulating with words the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, they'll think I'm strange if I do. Probably so. Some of them will. They'll talk about me. I've got news for you. They're talking about you already. Give them something we're talking about. That may be the case, but I want to see the day, and I believe you do too, and I'm certain heaven does, when it is not unusual, whereas today it may be unusual to share the gospel, I'm looking forward to the day when it's unusual not to share the gospel in our community, and people will be surprised that they don't hear it from us. It's not that way today, but folks, we're going to head that way because Christ is Lord. And then Christ's message in the missionary church, verse 8. The unsearchable riches of Christ. This is another term coined by the Apostle Paul. It's been translated a dozen different ways by New Testament translators. Some translate it inexplorable, untraceable, inexhaustible, illimitable, inscrutable, incalculable, infinite, maybe the simplest, and is certainly accurate. In other words, there are riches of grace, riches of love, riches of power, riches of everything that a human soul may need in this life and the next that are inexhaustible in Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ has an enormous bank account. It, it cannot be exhausted. Therefore, Jesus does not need to economize. He doesn't need coupons, and He sure doesn't need a budget. He has grace. In other words, there is enough grace for every need, and there's enough grace to cover every sin. So you don't have to be hopeless today. You can be right with God if you'll repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. Even at the end of the service, God will cancel your sins instantaneously and eternally, fold you in, incorporate you into Jesus Christ, and you can know Him forever and forever, and we'll give you that opportunity at the end of the service. That is the message of this missionary church. Then there's the urgency of this missionary church in verse 10. He makes all of this known... To the intent, verse 10, that now the manifold or multicolored wisdom of God might be made known by the church. This mission is not given to the government. It has its own mission. It's not given to the school system. They have their own. It's not given to other institutions. It is given to the church of Jesus Christ. In other words, when it comes to gospel truth, the church of Jesus Christ has a monopoly. 
God has delivered this product, if I can put it that way real carefully, to the church and to no one else, and we and we alone are responsible for its distribution. And so it's profoundly urgent. If we don't tell, they will not hear. I have to tell you, it's profoundly sad, but in the last bit of research I read on this, only 2% of Americans have ever heard the saving gospel of Christ from another Christian one-on-one. The people that you see, the people that you know, the people you don't know, if they do not hear the gospel from you, they will probably never hear it the rest of their lives. It's highly unlikely. You and I are the last persons between them and their death to hear the gospel of Christ. So please do something. Even if it's weak, even if it's halting, even if it causes you to stretch. Let me ask you, if you were dying and on your way to hell, wouldn't you want someone from this church family to stretch a little bit to reach you? Well, if you know Christ, somebody did, didn't they? Somebody gave of themselves to share the gospel with you. Well, let's return the grace and the goodness and the favor to others that don't know the Lord. Then there is Christ reached through this missionary church. Verse number 10. This is puzzling to many people, but it's profoundly, um, uh, profoundly interesting. He says, we make this known by the church, not only to the Gentiles, he said that before, but to principalities and powers in the heavenly places to the angelic ranks. Dr. Criswell has a sermon on this passage entitled, When Angels Come to Church. In other words, and Paul doesn't elaborate, when we share the gospel, we become a graduate school of the drama of redemption, one author said. And angels look in with great fascination and interest into our work. Stunned. They they can't be saved, will never be saved. Most of them don't need to be saved. The fallen angels are doomed and their condemnation is sealed forever. And so they're all fascinated. Now, fallen angels in hell are thoroughly intimidated. They are upset. And they run and flee from the mention of Jesus' name. Angels in heaven rejoice and they sing praise night and day to the God and to the Lamb that's on the throne. And I would say to you, if angels who cannot and will not be saved take interest in the gospel, I think a few of us should, don't you think? And then, the model for this missionary church, chapter 3, verse number 11. According to the eternal purpose, or the pre-plan, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ was the model of all of this. Someone said God had only one Son, and He made Him a preacher. And that is indeed what He did. Jesus verbalized the gospel. So if we are like Christ, we are missionaries. And to resist evangelism and missions is to unnaturally suppress the life of Christ within us and to grieve Him. Because Jesus is constantly trying to reach through our heart, our witness, and our words. And then Christ's reception of this missionary church. He receives this kind of church before His throne and the Christians in it. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. In other words, we approach the throne bold. Bold, we approach the throne, one hymn writer said. Indeed, because Christ has secured a place for us there. In other words, it is profoundly appropriate for us to sit near Christ in that throne room. You have places where you enjoy sitting. Some of you each morning go sit in a certain place for coffee. Some of you go 
each morning to a favorite place at the table. Some of you have a favorite recliner, and you approach that with great confidence for one reason or another. When you approach the throne before Jesus Christ, you can approach that in similar ways because you belong there. That is your, pl- your place. One hymn writer wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke in the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Now no condemnation I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne, and crane Christ as my own amazing love how can it be that thou should die for me you can come god has a place for you in jesus christ and he wants you there when jesus christ is in control he creates a missionary christian a missionary church it is a church then that shares the gospel and the power of the holy spirit locally and globally it is then a spirit empowered global church is what it is to be. And we are to be that way. So an absence of the evangelistic and missionary spirit indicates an absence of Christ. The presence of an evangelistic and missionary spirit and activity indicates His presence. That is why it is so profoundly important that we pray with all our heart for lost people. For the 15 on our prayer list, in our Sunday school class prayer meetings, why it's important to uh, construct and to submit a goal October the 12th, why it is so important to go gangbusters over inviting people and sharing the gospel with them October 12th through the 18th and to participate on October the 19th, it is so important because it goes to our integrity that we are what we say that we are. The church that resists, that lacks the evangelistic and missionary spirit and practice is merely a religious club. The one, however, that emphasizes it and guards it and nurtures it and implements it is a delight to Jesus Christ and is like Jesus Himself. That's why the month of October is so profoundly important. Now, why is it that all of this inclusion on Christ's terms, of course, is so important? Why would we get lathered up? And why would a good portion of our membership and church family give 10% of every paycheck, every dividend check, every retirement check to further the gospel locally and globally? Look back with me in chapter 2, verse number 12. Because there are many that at that time were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, without Jesus Christ, a person has as much business in the kingdom of God as ISIS terrorists have in the United States, as convicts and prisoners have in law enforcement. That is how God sees a person outside Jesus Christ. There's no place, no place, no reception, no acceptance on that person's own terms. But when a person repents, and places faith in Jesus Christ, there's something remarkable that happens. Chapter 3, verse 8. The unsearchable riches of Christ come to bear on that situation. In other words, Christ transforms and changes the heart and life. Jesus did that for a Jewish terrorist when He was dying on the cross. He was an insurrectionist, 
a Jewish terrorist. And he cried out to the Lord, and through the blood and through the gore and the ridicule and the reviling that Jesus was suffering there at the cross, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, the only one with the kingdom is a king, and Jesus received him. And Jesus will receive you if you will trust his death and resurrection. Chapter 3, verse 12 tells you how. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. In other words, there are enough riches in Jesus Christ. When you call on Him, when you place faith in Him, there are enough riches in Jesus Christ to pay off your debt to the court, to purchase for you a new identity, and to put you into the witness activation program. And that is what Jesus Christ will do. That's what He intends to do when you repent and place faith in Him. What's it mean to have faith? Law enforcement officers do it every time they put on a bulletproof vest. They entrust their lives to a bulletproof vest. You're putting on Jesus Christ, trusting Him. You stop doubting His protection. Stop doubting His grace and trust Him enough to put Him on His cross and resurrection. And you can be saved. Father, we pray, O God, that You would do that great work of grace in hearts and lives today. We pray for a magnanimous movement of the Holy Spirit in this time. Make us like Jesus. For some of us, that would mean repentance and faith in the gospel. So, Father, would you perform that and give all that's necessary to repent and believe in Jesus? For some of us, that means a a shift and change in attitude. Some overt, some subtle. Would you do that? For some of us, that might mean surrender to missionary service or to preach the gospel or some other form of Christian service. For others of us, that would mean becoming part of Beach Haven Baptist Church and joining with this missionary number and saying yes to all there is in Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would give the grace necessary to make it happen today. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. As you keep talking to God, let me let you know we're going to sing a song now. And we're going to ask you to stand. And as we start singing, would you step out from where you are? There will be a staff member here in front to help meet your spiritual need. Simply share your spiritual need, and we'll be glad to help you. That's what we do. There's no magic to walking down the aisle, but there is great grace for those who will call on the name of the Lord. Would you quickly stand with me, please? I'm going to finish my prayer, and we're going to ask you to come. Lord, in these moments, may you be pleased with our words and the intention of our hearts. Gather all that Jesus wants in this hour and that you intended and designed this for in this time. In Jesus' name we pray.